This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Our topic of the week is political reform. Once again, that must be about the 18th time we've done this over uh, nine years, so it's not all that often. Uh, in, in a few moments, Chuck Coughlin will will join us. But we're g- our, uh, up, up at the top of the hour, our guest is Stephen Richer, is the county recorder. And uh, in that role, he not only uh, works on elections, but he also maintains electoral roles. And uh, you had a very interesting observation about the Maricopa County uh, elect, uh, Maricopa County re- uh, registration totals. Want to tell us what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me back on the Think Tank, Mike. And we did have a noteworthy event happened recently, which is that the other party, which includes party not declared, uh, some people who identify with other parties, independence, is now the largest party in Maricopa County, having just eclipsed the Republican Party in terms of number of registrants. And that's uh, kind of been we've kind of been watching. Somebody's watched that for you know that number slipping. That wasn't a that wasn't an overnight thing. We, we've been moving in that direction, so it was kind of a predictable uh, trend to see that. But we crossed that threshold just recently. That's right. It's been a gradual trend, certainly since I've taken office. It's been steady over the last two years. We did see a number of switches away from the Republican Party, in particular in the aftermath of the 2020 election and at the beginning of 2021. But it's mostly been these new registrants who have been registering as party not declared. Now, which is a trend, I think, uh, uh, heavily amongst those who are younger, where I think that's that's largest. But um, let me ask you about the register. I know there was a little bit of an exodus from the Republican Party after the January 6th insurrection. Did that continue throughout the year or, or has that subsided? The trend towards other has continued, but it's been very mild and it's been fairly even between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. So we haven't seen no, no noteworthy trend away from one of the two major political parties towards other. So what's the margin between the percentage margin between Democrats and Republican? And has that been constant? That has been constant. So in November 2020, the Republican Party had about 100,000 voter registration advantage over the Democrat Party for all of Maricopa County. And that's out of about 2.6 million registered voters. That 100,000 voter registration advantage for the Republican Party has remained fairly constant. The thing that has happened is that Like I said, before the other party was the second biggest party and was trailing the Republican Party by about 65,000 votes in the November 2020 election. And it is now the largest party, so to speak, in Maricopa County. Hey, Stephen, this is Chuck Coughlin with High Ground. Uh, Again, it's nice chatting with you. What what do you think um, what do you think is contributing to that? What what. what is going on in the cycles that, you know, and I know that's not necessarily a, a recorder issue, but you're a smart guy, you're a lawyer, you're well-educated, you're part of the community here and uh, have been a loyal Republican for a long time. What do you think is happening out there? Well, now that you've buttered me up, Chuck, <laughs> you know, I, I've, been, I've been following the national trends, and I think that there is a particularly strong independent streak in Arizona 
And, you know, I see some of the commentary about some of the divisive rhetoric. I see some of the commentary about people not feeling like they're sufficiently loyal to one member of the political party or insufficiently or too sufficiently loyal to one member of the political party. You know, Mike likes to say that you're the political operative when you come on his show. So I'll I'll leave the political operative stuff (laughs) largely to you. Okay, then I'll take a I'll take a mechanical question then. So um, how does does the current system treat unaffiliated candidates? How does the current system treat uh, unaffiliated candidates? How do I if I'm I'm an unaffiliated voter, how do I get on the ballot? Well, if you're an unaffiliated voter, the process for voting is different from being on the ballot. So it's very hard to be an independent candidate. Now, Arizona's a little bit different, as we are in many respects, and many of those respects are very positive, but it can get a bit confusing in this context. If you're not affiliated with one of the two major political parties, you can still vote in our August primary, such as the August 2022 primary that we have coming up, but you have to request that ballot. So you're mailed a postcard 90 days before the election, and you have to elect, I want either the Republican ballot or I want the Democrat ballot. However, it's different for the presidential preference election, which is what we have in every presidential election year, and that takes place in March. For that election, you have to be a registered member of the party. So we do consistently see some more party affiliation in those even presidential years than we'll see in other years. So what you're saying, though, is a candidate, I uh, uh, I cannot run in a president. I, I can't. Well, let's go back to the voter thing. If I'm a voter, I cannot vote in a presidential preference primary unless I change my party registration. Correct. If I'm a if I'm a voter in a um, in a state election, I have to request one of the party's ballots. And that's legal to do here in Arizona. Correct. You do have to take that extra step. We will and, not mail you a ballot, even if you're on the early voting list, if you are an independent and you have not elected one of the two parties. And, and you have to make that election re, uh, request every single election. Every single primary every election. Every single primary, correct. right. Right. So I'm an, I'm an independent. I don't get a primary ballot of any sort without making a specific request prior to the election. So in effect, it's, right. it's kind of like uh, not being on the uh, permanent early voting list for purposes of the primary. So, right. so let's say Mike's an independent and he voted in the Republican primary in August of 2020. We're not automatically sending him a Republican Party primary ballot in August 2022. We would still send him the 90-day notice card, and he would either have to go online to beballotready.vote, or he would have to fill out that card and mail it back such that we would know he wants there's, – there's no default for independence. And I, I think the thing uh, that everybody knows that when they, they're trying to corral votes is that if you require one group of voters to take an extra step in order to vote, they will vote in smaller numbers than they would have. So, again, I'm going to leave it to Chuck, but I will tell you <laughs> well, that as a statistical matter – Independent participation in our primaries is paltry. 
Yeah. It's about 10% in either primary, I believe, of uh, unaffiliated voters participating. Ten, ten per, does that mean 10% of, the, of that, uh, you know. Of the independents vote uh, in a primary. It, well, it, it comes up, it's like 5 to 8% of the total population of a primary m- will be unaffiliated voters. Okay, okay. Um, which, you know, to your point, Mike, is a barrier because you're not, you have to change, I'll use, uh, you know, I'll use... You know, woke culture uh, dis- uh, verbiage here. I have to change my identity to vote in a presidential primary. You have to assume a new identity uh, or request a new identity to vote in a state primary. And, and I think that some of it, some people don't like to do that. They right. treasure the notion that they are independent. And if they request a ballot in one or the other of the primaries, they feel like that violates their independence. I think there's lots of reasons. I think that's one of them. So, Mr. Richard, do we have uh, elections in Arizona that are run as an open uh, primary, uh, an open ballot system? Yes. But before we get into that, you know, without getting the social commentary, I want to do say we do make it hopefully less arduous than some other changes in life, but it's still true that even having opt-in versus opt-out does have yeah. probably a, a negative influence and, and on let me partners. just define that and then we'll go to break and then we'll return. Opt-in, just make sure we don't lose anybody. Opt-in means that you have to affirmatively do something in order to get the ballot, right. as opposed to there being a default. You, you get Whatever ballot you've requested until you say, stop sending me that and one. And Mr. Richard's correct. Many states don't even allow unaffiliated voters to participate in primaries. Yep. So his, his point is we well made, taken. Made a while back. Yes. But we'll be back with both these guys in the think tank in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with the county recorder, Stephen Richer, and Chuck Coughlin, political consultant. We're talking about uh, what it takes to vote in the state of Arizona. And Chuck had had, uh, turned the kind of subject to what people who are unaffiliated, basically non-Democrat, non-Republicans, I guess non-libertarian, not not affiliated with any particular political party, the extra steps they have to go through to vote. And where we're heading towards is, uh, isn't there a... Uh, uh, a type of level of government election where uh, these restrictions do not occur. Stephen? There is. And elections are a very local creature. And so our municipalities have actually chosen to do a nonpartisan top two system. So if you think of the city of Phoenix, when Mayor Gallego first won her election as mayor, she ran against Danny Valenzuela, Moses Sanchez, and Nick Sarwark. All four of those were on the same initial ballot, even though Moses Sanchez was a Republican, Nick Starwork was a Libertarian, uh, Valenzuela and Gallego were both Democrats, but they all went on the ballot uh, without partisan identification, and anyone who was registered could vote in that first election, and then the top two moved on to a runoff, which was Gallego and Valenzuela. I, I make an observation here as a professional pollster. Uh, it has worked in the Valley the last 40 years. The level of government where citizens have the highest level of satisfaction <laughs> is municipal government. Uh, yeah. I don't think that's and, – and by the way, the, the least approved level of government is the state legislature. 
Well, I don't yeah. know. The feds I are challenging thought, that. I, well. the, uh, <laughs> I thought the county recorder's office was the most. Like, <laughs> I think it's the most. Well, you're you're competing with the uh, the state mine inspector for the most anonymous <laughs> office until you until you not get embroiled in something. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, you've that elevated way. that. <laughs> So back to the point. So all of the cities across the state, I think with the exception of one, that'd be Tucson, have an open primary system where everybody competes. Voters can choose whomever they want. And in the current system, as Stephen mentioned, it's a top two. Uh, The top two vote getters go into the runoff. Stephen, there's been other forms of proposals on elections on how that would be other than top two. Um, could you walk through what you're familiar with there? You know, I've heard about ranked choice voting and those types of systems. Can you speak to that, at least what that means? There's a whole smorgasbord of how you can choose your candidates. And I would say Arizona falls somewhere in the middle. You have the closed primary systems that we mentioned, and then you have the jungle primary systems that are more like our municipalities. You have ranked choice voting where you can vote for, you can weigh your different votes You know, this is my favorite candidate. This is my second favorite candidate. This is my third. You have ballot styles where you can vote for multiple candidates such that you can, you know, hopefully try to get your top two people into the general election such that, you know, you know, you like one of those two. And, you know, each system has its pros and cons. But I think what the municipal system is designed to do is to give everyone an input from the Mm get-go as to who the eventual winner might be, because as Chuck can undoubtedly speak to better than I, (laughs) a lot of our eventual elected officials are determined at the primary level when it is a partisan primary. Yeah, to his point there, so... In essence, today on the state level, county level, state level, federal level, 100 percent of our candidates are elected uh, in a primary, given that there's no independents that are that ran. There's one last time. So 90.5, 99.5. Um, and then all of those that get elected in the primary move on to the general but many of them win their seats outright. So about 80% of the legislative uh, races are done at, are, are completed because those general elections that they have are in safe, either Democratic or Republican districts. Which is why I'm sure, Chuck, before we even know the names of candidates, you could take the legislative seats that are up for office. We've and, done this. And tell, <laughs> and tell us all who's going to win yeah. with uh, something in excess of 90% accuracy yeah. without even knowing who's running. Well, back to the other thing we were talking about, candidates do matter. So yeah. there's often... That's the, t- that's the right, other 10%. That's the, that's the, well, that, that's a, a wild card because sometimes candidates do very strange things. But, but if you start yeah, out with a 10% mathematic, plus Republican district, it has to be a heck of a candidate to beat that. I mean, we're here in uh, we're here in uh, um, March of uh, 22, in November of 22, Karnak's going to put on his hat and say the Republicans are going to pick up two seats in both the House and the Senate. Mm-hmm. But that's because, that's not because I'm smart, because you do the math on what the what the districts are. But And also, right. the Democrats maybe arguably overperformed a little bit, and we're moving in a, into a midterm right. election, right. where just the natural forces say uh, they, uh, they do not quite as well. So, uh, yeah. go ahead, Stephen. And I, I think the 
criticism of this system is, for instance, the Democratic voters, the registered Democrats in Paul Gosar's congressional district. They have effectively no say in their congressman because it's going to be a Republican. And so the eventual congressman is determined at the primary level. I think a defender of this system would say, well, it should be up to the political parties to determine who their representative is. And that shouldn't be open to people who are part of our party. You know, and so there's, there's competing tensions there. Because that, that'd be a great segment into the next uh, part of what we're going to, I want to talk to Stephen about, because that, that is, you know, choice. I mean, how do we, how does competition really define today in, in this system? And how does a more open election cycle promote competition, which has historically been an American value of uh, competition of ideas? It's the whole idea of elections. Right? Well, right. <laughs> or, or are we... Is it like golf right now where, you know, Mike, I'll ask you what your handicap is. You'll lie to me and you're going to win the bet on the first tee because you're going to get more strokes. And so mm-hmm. is it already predetermined that you're going to win the round at the at the outset? And and the question and this we're moving into a break here. And the question is also an observation that in very safe districts that you tend to get more extremist candidates on right. either side. Anybody, anybody who knows uh you know, the lay of the land in most districts knows who's going to and, and you win your election in the primary and the more extreme uh, part of your own party is the those who turn out and right. determine the outcome in the primary. And we will pick up this discussion with Steve Richer, County Recorder and Chuck Coughlin when we return in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are back with Stephen Richer, County uh, County, uh, Recorder, uh, Chuck Coughlin. Uh, The thing we noted at the beginning of the show is that in Maricopa County, the largest political uh, uh, affiliation are those voters who say, I am not a Democrat, I am not a Republican. Um, I'm not a libertarian. Uh, I am. I am choosing to be independent or some variation of it. Unaffiliated. That, unaffiliated. Which so no, there's some categories, no preference, whatever. But basically, people who say I am not a member of one of the major parties. And right now, Stephen, what does somebody who falls into that largest category of voter who wants to be a candidate? They're not a Democrat. They're not a Republican. What kind of hoops do they have to go through and how do they compare to the hoops that a Democrat or Republican would have to go through? Yeah, life's tough if you want to run as an independent candidate. And perhaps that's understandable because the people who write the rules are the people who are currently in office, which are largely Republicans and Democrats. Uh, Exclusively Republicans (laughs) and Democrats, I think. Not largely. That's right. So if if you're an independent who wants to run, you don't appear on the primary ballot. You only appear on the general ballot. And so you're going to just miss out on that first ballot altogether. Now, some people might say that's good because you just skip right ahead to the general. Some people might say, you know, well, you voters don't get to know you. But the first process for getting on any type of ballot is collecting signatures. So you have to collect a requisite number of signatures to even appear on the primary ballot or on the general ballot. If you want to be on the Republican primary ballot, 
the number of signatures you have to collect is determined by the number of eligible voters for that Republican primary. Now, That's eligible Republicans or eligible voters total in your district? Right, Republican. Uh, people who could participate in the Republican primary, okay. so Republicans so, and So if you're in a Republican district, you need more signatures because there's more Republicans. Okay. Than the Democrat. But here's the kicker. If you're an independent, right. the number of signatures you have to get is determined by the entire electorate because you go straight to the general election ballot. And so you have to actually gather significantly more signatures than you would if you were running on a party ID. So if you're, and then if other- you're in a, if it, just to get people to understand, let's say you're in a district that's equal Republican, Democrat, and other, you're going to have to get three times the, uh, the signatures that a Republican or a Democrat would have to get. Well, it's more Correct. than that. Uh, it's actually more than that more. because the, the voting turnout in a general is significantly higher um, so the last time the primary was about 36 on a statewide level, it was 36 in the in the general on a statewide campaign. It was about nearly 80 last time, 80 mm-hmm. percent. So what's the effect of that, Stephen, on like if you're an independent and you want to put yourself on a statewide ballot, how many what, what's the number of signatures vis-a-vis a Republican or a Democrat that you'd have to collect? I'll, I'll give you one that's close to me because it's one that we preside over. But so the clerk of the Superior Court is a partisan elected position that is up in 2022. It runs Maricopa County wide. If you are a Republican wanting to appear on the primary ballot for clerk of the Superior Court, you have to gather a minimum of 4,528 signatures. If you're a Democrat wanting to appear on the Democrat primary ballot as clerk of the Superior Court, 4,289 If you're an independent who wants to go straight to the general election, you have to gather 27,120 signatures. So that's almost six times. Six times the number of signatures for somebody to provide an option. Um, you know that, and as he's, it's we jokingly say that's who's making the rules. Where there's, and and yet we have this problem. I know this gets into commentary and our our very mm-hmm. astute election officials, but there's not a lot of happiness with either party right now, and it it does limit the amount of discussion and choices yeah. that we can. So would you? I, I, could I could I yeah, jump yeah, in yeah, here, sure, Chuck, sure. and ask you a devil's advocate question? Okay, to take that example. Well, if I'm a Republican and I want to get on the on the uh, ballot, I need not only signatures, I have to then go through the ex- extra hurdle of winning my primary, okay? And if I'm an independent, yeah, I need a lot more signatures, but I go straight to the championship round. I skip the primary election. Isn't that uh, a compensation for that? Well, I'd, I'd argue back. So the whole debate's going on and you're not there. Mm-hmm. So you're not on the ballot. Voters are not even aware that you're there. Mm-hmm. You can go campaign during that cycle mm-hmm. just for name ID sake and put and be relevant. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden your name appears and you haven't been part of the conversation. You're not engaged in debate with either. Either candidate is not likely to debate you. Because they don't want to debate you. That's not to their best interest in a primary. So they ignore you, and so hence the electorate ignores you because it's it's more difficult. So, so what's the solution? I, I mean, I say if you cut the number of signatures to where it is for Republican or Democrat, you could have a ballot flooded with independent candidates with little or no support. Or, or would this imply maybe there's an independent primary? 
You could have an independent primary, or uh, if that's what you wanted to do, or as we do on the municipal level, you could open it up to everybody. Mm-hmm. So there's as as uh, open playing field. Yeah, you have a level playing field, no matter you know why. Why you know I, back to the competition idea. Why why would we? The current system encourages a binary choice. You can have A or you can have B. Well, why can't I have a? Why why can't my choice be a supermarket aisle that's full of products that I I can listen to and hear from all of them and make the, my consumer's best decision? Um, it, because it's not in the interest of the two parties. And so, uh, you know, the the idea is do, and then simultaneously the narrative of the debate. I'd be less likely to if there's a third or fourth candidate in the debate. I don't think I'd be self-inclined to be if, – if I'm running against Stephen and you uh, and and my race is the three of I you and mean, we're all equally competitive, I'm probably not going to be dumping on you, I, either of you. i got to pump my own tires more to be relevant. Sure. you got a three-way race and A attacks B. The winner is C. Right. That's exactly right. And so I want to I want to make sure people know me not and not how bad you are. So um, maybe byproduct is more more positive campaigns. I think so. I, I would I would assume that that's where we've seen this before, uh, and and that's a that may be a, a better outcome, particularly as we see. So, Stephen, what, what are you what are you on the? So, Maricopa County went independent is now the largest voter block as independents. Do you have an estimation as? Is that going to continue? And does the state, uh, Maricopa County is the largest portion of the state. Does the state's largest voting segment? become unaffiliated voters and when and if that you think that's going to happen when do you think that could happen if the trends continue yes and i think we'll get near it by the 2022 election the republican party still has the voter registration advantage for the state but that will continue to grow as far as the independent population in maricopa county and as you suggested chuck Maricopa County makes up about 61% of the registered voters in Arizona. But what I want to impress upon people is that the rules matter. There's a notion that candidates are extreme right now. And I'm sure that's the the result of a whole host of reasons, whether it's the incentives or just the nature of the polity right now. But also the rules matter in that where we do some of the main fighting happens at a different stage than if we change the rules, and that might change the outcome. Now, whether or not that's a good thing can be determined. I think there are people who would say no, um, but you know, I think Chuck would say we should look into changing those rules because it's not reflective of the polity at large, but it's more reflective of the people who are the minority of people who are participating in these primary systems. Yeah, and I and he's right. I mean, that's clear. Stephen and I have talked about this, and that that the um, the other thing that chaps me as an unaffiliated voter now is that I I can run. I can't run. I can't be on your primary ballot, but I have to pay for that election. So my taxes. Happy to pay my taxes to support good government and support voter registration and support honest and fair and open elections, but I can't participate. But my I have to pay for 
I mean, you know, go back to the beginning. So, Stephen, you're a historian and a very smart guy as well. Has this always been the case in America, you know, from the founding of the country that we've had a Republican and a Democratic Party? I mean, how did we start? What did our founders have to say about this? No, I, I think you probably know the answer to that. The party system has changed materially over the, the years in which this we've been a country. And, you know, certainly Washington warned of the fractious nature of parties. Now, that being said, parties have evolved, but they've largely been a factor of life. But we're also a heavily federalized system, and not every state does it the same. And so, as I mentioned before, in this buffet of voting rules, you know, Arizona has sort of a half open, open to unaffiliated in terms of the primaries system. But there are other states like Louisiana that does a jungle primary system. And so, you know, it's advantageous in that we can look at those. Explain jungle. Just, I don't want to lose the audience here. Explain jungle. Yeah, exactly. So just like our municipalities, where everyone's on the same ticket, on the same ballot during the primary, Republicans and Democrats are on the same ballot, and no matter what your partisan affiliation, you participate in that. Jungle sounds scary and dark. Yeah, yeah. Open, open, open sounds yeah. open and honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's why well, one of the, I wanted to explain. I don't want yeah. to use terms that people aren't, yeah. aren't going to understand. We'll be back. We'll conclude this discussion in in just a moment, we're here with Stephen Richter and Chuck Coughlin, and The Think Tank will return after this. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're talking elections and voting here with Stephen Richter, uh, the county recorder, and Chuck Coughlin. Uh, Stephen, uh, we have had uh, no excuse. Uh, what used to be called absentee voting, mail-in voting now, has been a way of life in Arizona for now 30 years. Uh, that appears to be under some attack right now. That's right. There's been a number of proposals in the state legislature to do away with that. There's also a current lawsuit alleging that mail-in voting and early voting of any kind is unconstitutional. I think that we will still have mail-in voting and early voting in 2022 and in 2024. I think it has become the way of life here in Arizona. We had Senator T.J. Shope say just the other day that he hasn't voted in person in Arizona since 2005 and that he would vote against any bill that takes away that opportunity. And so, you know, I, I think that there is, you know, this was introduced by a Republican legislature in 1991. And I think it's a system that Arizonans have grown comfortable with and have grown used to. And if there's one thing that's true about politics is when you give voters something, whether it's Social Security or early voting, they don't want to give it back. Uh, that was also, I think, true. That's why Republicans were so adamant to to kill Obamacare in the bud, because yeah. yeah. they knew that once people got it, you couldn't touch it. So like what, Medicare before it. What percentage, Stephen, of, of Maricopa County voters vote early vote versus what um, what turnout on election day or or vote yeah vote early or election day? We're becoming effectively a de facto all early vote state. Eighty percent of Maricopa County residents are on the active early voting list. They constitute about 90% of the total vote because they vote at a higher rate than people who aren't on the active early voting list. So nine out of 10 voters are not showing up 
and getting a ballot printed on Election Day, filling it out and putting it right into the tabulator. And that number goes up every single year. It went up especially in 2020 by a few points probably due to coronavirus, but that might stay with us. And I, I see no reason why it would so all of a sudden drop down below 80%. And what, what, give us your thoughts on, I mean, there's been a lot of voter uh, confidence issues in, our, in that system. As the recorder, could you speak to some of that in terms of security and the confidence of it? Well, the wonderful thing about Arizona is that we didn't have to invent the wheel in times of coronavirus, is that we have been doing it since 1992. So this is a process that has been gone through many iterations, and I think we've gotten better and better at it. And regardless of where you are on your confidence interval right now, it's my job over the next few months to make you feel better about the process. But look, every single ballot must be tied to a registered voter. If it is not printed by my office, then it is not going to be able to go into our tabulation machines. Before we even separate the ballot from the envelope, we verify your signature and we verify that you are, in fact, the registered voter for whom the ballot was intended. Once the signature is verified, it's taken out of the ballot by a bipartisan team of two people and then is put in the out stack for tabulation. After tabulation occurs, there are automatic audit processes conducted by the political parties themselves to make sure that the tabulation equipment is working as it's intended. And in the elections we did in 2021, we did three elections in 2021. I think they went very, very well, very smoothly. We're in the middle of a Tempe municipal election right now. It's going smoothly. And I have every expectation and hope that it will be the same for our 2022 elections. Do you have any reason to believe that mail-in votes are any less secure than in-person votes? There was a study commissioned by the Carter Center in, I think, 2005 that raised some concerns with it. But like I said, the process has evolved quite a bit. And the, so I'm an empiricist. You know, and if there is something, show me the data and I am happy to look at it. But the Maricopa County court system looked at this in the context of the 2020 election and Everything checked out. So, for instance, they looked at signatures and they said, well, is the signature verification process, is it flawed? And so in a case called Ward versus Jackson, the court asked both plaintiffs and defendants, signature experts, to take a look at a sample size of signatures and see if any had signs of forgery. And from that sample size, they found zero that had that. And so, you know, until I see otherwise... I'm going to say that this is a this is a system that works, that it has worked, that it has produced Republican victories and Democrat victories. I think we can continue proving we will we will continue improving. We're doing additional signature training right now. We're making more historic signatures available to our first level reviewers. Uh, but no, there there is no systemic problems and there's certainly no problems that would advantage one political party over the other. I've seen no data to suggest that Republicans cheat more frequently than Democrats <laughs> or the or vice versa. And when we do have instances in which we have reason to believe that somebody has fraudulently voted a ballot. We refer those instances to the attorney general, and I believe that he has uh, quite a few matters open right now, but quite a few in the context of 2.6 million means effectively zero. Usually when I I read about cases of of illegal voting – my sense is that it almost always is the it comes from the fact of somebody voted in another state, they moved to Arizona and they vote here. And by every sign, it's inadvertent and it's also minuscule. 
Well, we do get some intentional when uh, an instance that we've seen more than once. You have a spouse. Three days before ballots go out, your spouse dies. You still get the ballot because your spouse isn't taken off the voter registration list in those intervening three days. You know what your spouse's signature looks like largely, and so you try and replicate that signature. You know, Then we see, we get the list of people who were deceased. We find out that your spouse died before we even sent out ballots. We refer that to the attorney general. So you what do- kind of consequence does somebody endure in a case like that? It's a felony. It's not, you know, so misdemeanors are less serious than felonies, and this is a class six felony. So are you doing anything in this cycle? Are you doing anything with, um, you know, I know you've had some, we've had challenges with our legislative leaders, but I know others are working uh, with the county. Are we trying to do anything collaboratively right now to fix any issues that you're aware of? Is there anything that you'd want to talk about there? We're doing a lot of things internally that I think are process improvements, such as not handwriting anything, just because that leads to confusion and leads to misreading things, putting everything into digital format. But we also recognize that our state laws should be consistently updated, and we are working with the state legislature. And I've actually really appreciate the overtures that many members have made to my office to see how we can continue to modernize our election system. So one thing that I'm excited about is being able to post all the images of the ballots to you know a website or some place where third parties can get in there and we could say you know what if you have an issue with it go get equipment that could do its own tabulation of the digital images and run your own audit with it so we came across this in 20 in the 2020 context when we wanted to give the images to another third party such that they could run another audit unfortunately the law didn't allow that at the time and so that's something that we're looking at changing you know, I, I, I give you credit for uh, hanging on in this very difficult time in this cycle. Um, you know, I think you've done a remarkably good job uh, in a nonpartisan way of uh, and I know I try to drag you into these conversations of uh, on equity of uh, how the system treats. And I know you're in charge of just running the system. But do, do you think uh, is, is the current system that we have today, uh, is it a level playing field for everybody? You know, back to you have what is your concern as a voter or uh, when a majority of the electorate becomes unaffiliated as a practitioner of somebody that uh, is counting votes and making sure elections are are fair and equal? And and could I get in a a question as well and and let you know we only got a minute left? Yeah. Give us some sense. These cases where you said where, where, you know, the the spouse signed something for the deceased spouse. How many cases are we talking about? Under 100. Under 100. Out of a million some odd votes. Out of 2 million, 1, 2.1 million ballots cast in the 2020 election. Okay, good enough. That that And, and you got 30 seconds you want to answer Chuck's question. And again, no reason to think that there's a partisan split. Yeah. I think we have a system that enfranchises broadly people. I think it makes it easy to vote. I think there's no reason to believe that it doesn't work. And if you need proof, look at the people who are running. They're running because they believe in the system. They're putting in time because they believe in the system. They're asking for your vote because they believe in the system. So don't take at face value anyone who tries to tell you it's all rigged, but I need you to donate to me and I need you to vote for me. So really just think about that hard. Think about the illogicism of that. 
and just have confidence in this system because the very people who are sometimes propagating these myths are actually the ones who have the most confidence in this system as evidenced by the fact that they're putting their time, money, and effort into this system. Out of, out of time, thank you both. If you need to reach me, mikeoneal.org is the website. You can get email or social media connections there. See you next week in the Think Tank.